Each one of us can draw near to God. If you feel far away, who moved? God didn't. We move away from time to time, but God is always on the move, moving toward us, moving forward for us, so we can move forward as well. In fact, God wants each of us to be close to Him. He wants for us what we would want for ourselves if we were smart enough to want it. And God wants you to want that. And by wanting it, your faith will come alive, and by faith, you know God and you draw near to God. So today is a good day, the power of one. As I mentioned, today is also Super Bowl Sunday here in South Florida. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, quarterbacked by Tom Brady, are going to be uh, fighting the Kennedy Chief, quarterbacked by Patrick Mahomes. It ought to be a great game. But my topic today is about a different bowl in history that's been recorded. I call it the bowl of all bowls, and I'm not talking about cooking bowls either. It's a battle in the Bible to the death. It was a one-man Super Bowl, a one-man supernatural bowl. David was one man. Goliath was another man. One man versus another. It'd be like Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes going one-on-one in the game tonight rather than their teams fighting one another. In ancient times, many times, one nation would choose a champion. That's what Goliath was called, a champion. And he would step out into the battlefield. And the other nation would choose a champion. The word champion in the Old Testament means one who stands between, stands between two armies. So David and Goliath came out between two armies, and they were to fight it out in the Super Bowl of God, the supernatural bowl, and the stakes were extremely high, extremely high. Death for one of the combatants, and then for each nation, the loser would be the slaves of the winner, and many of them would die as well. So the scene is set in 1 Samuel chapter 17 where I ask you to turn for a moment, a moment ago. Now, as you see, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is a long chapter. We cannot read all of this chapter this morning. There are 58 verses in the chapter. But I want to encourage you today to open your Bible to 1 Samuel 17 and read the entire amazing, exciting story of the one-man Super Bowl, the one-man supernatural bowl, and how the victory was won and who won. Read it all for yourself, and you'll see what God has been doing in history and what God is doing in our lives today. So today, as we're talking about this, I want you to listen for the battlers, the blasphemers, the believers, and the blessings that are named in this chapter. So... Mark that place, 1 Samuel 17, and I will refer to a few verses, key verses, as we go along. First of all, let's describe David of the Israelite nation. He was a believer, and he lived in a blasphemous land who defied and defiled every truth that God has given them. Now, as we're going through this amazing historical story, 
you'll see that this story is contemporary because you and I are in battles very much like it was in the days of David. And what David had, we need. And what David used, we need to use. And the God of David is the God of every believer. So it's very contemporary in that sense. So David, the Bible tells us, I'll skip ahead a little bit and tell you more about him in his development of his personality. He became the king of Israel in about 1010 to 970. In fact, he was the greatest king of Israel. He was a man who loved with all of his heart. It was said of David that he was a man after God's own, own heart. David's leadership, David's courage, David's firepower of faith empowered him to defeat all of Israel's enemies. In fact, he enlarged his whole nation's borders all around. He established the city of Jerusalem. He made it a great religious and a political center to do God's will among the people in that nation. In fact, during his reign of 40 years, this was called the Golden Age of Israel. The Golden Age of Israel. And he unified the Hebrew people under God's leadership during this time. And amazingly, the Bible tells us that this young man, David, was in the genealogical line that led up to the Messiah. Now, many of you knew that, did you not? That David was part of the genealogical line that was prophesied in the Bible that would lead to the birth of Christ. David was a great man. But you're going to see him when he was a teenager. When he was just starting out, he didn't have all those abilities he learned, those skills he developed later in his life. He was just a young man. So that's David in a nutshell. What about Goliath and the Philistines? Goliath, according to 1 Samuel 17, was 9 feet and 9 inches tall. On the day of the battle, he wore 125 pounds of armor. He had a bronze uh, armament upon him. He had a javelin strapped to his back. He had a man who carried his shield, by the way, which was so huge, it would cover most of his height. And he had a spear, the tip of it alone weighed 15 pounds. Think of throwing that spear. What a mighty man physically this man was. And Young David, by the way, was also a shepherd. He was a smaller young man and a smaller man even at maturity. And he had learned to use the sling. So here he stood. He was probably about 5'6". He stood before Goliath 9'9". Nine, nine. Can you imagine that? And all David had was a sling. Now, it was God's power in that sling, but I want to remind you of something. This was not a child's sling like you and I used when we were kids, right? And popped ourselves in the cheek with it probably <laughs> like I did. This sling was a weapon. It had a pouch or a pocket on the end of two long cords or strands. A master slinger, I know that sounds strange, a master slinger of the day could sling a tennis ball-sized stone at almost 100 miles an hour. 
they were mighty weapons. Why? They killed or wounded lions, bears, wolves, thieves. They were known as warriors. They were fearless. They were courageous. They lived out in the open by themselves. They were responsible for the lives of their sheep. And those sheep were used in the temple and offering sacrifices. They had a holy job as well. So there was David and there was Goliath and then there were the Philistines. Now the Philistines were the perpetual and perennial enemy of Israel. They were a warring nation. They were a people of the sea. They were aggressive warriors who came from the sea, came on land into Israel on the Mediterranean coast. And they had a secret that the people around them did not know or have. They were iron workers. They knew how to make instruments and weapons of war from iron. David's kingdom didn't know it. No other kingdom knew it. And they were a mighty force to be contended with all the time. And they dominated the land of Israel for many years. Samson, as you know, was supposedly the strongest man who ever lived. But the Philistines defeated him because he was weak in character, though he was strong in body. He was not strong spiritually speaking. But when David came on the scene, beginning as a teenage boy, the tide turned against Philistia or the Philistines and Goliath, and the secret they had did them no good when one champion faced another champion Despite the disparity in their height and weight and weaponry, things changed on that day. In fact, an archaeologist, they discovered many examples of the iron weapons they used during that time. So there was Goliath of the Philistines. There was David of the Israelites. And David came out to do battle. Now, in that football game that's going to be played tonight, the coaches and the players have been watching film. Why? They watch film to garner every bit of knowledge they can about the offensive and the defensive teams of the opposing team. They want to know every one of their strengths, but most importantly, they want to know their weaknesses so they can exploit them and win the game. And that's what will happen tonight. One weakness or two will be exploited and the other team will win the battle tonight in the Super Bowl because of that. So we want to take a few minutes and look at the film, so to speak. But it's on paper. It's recorded in the Bible. We're going to learn from David that the victory lay in his faith in God to empower him to win this battle and use the skills that David had. Don't think for a moment that David wasn't trained. He was. He was a warrior. He was trained. He had strength. He had power. He had vision. He had dexterity. He had movement. And he had courage only outmatched by his faith in God. A man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 4 that faith for us is the victory and our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are, you and I today, battling too. And we want to ask the question now, how did David 
win this battle. What happened? As I said, our time is limited. We can't actually read the exact words, but I'm going to tell you the story quickly up front. I'm going to tell you the outcome of the game up front. If you watch the Super Bowl tonight, if somebody had the power to tell you the score up front at the end of the game, would you still watch it? Well, I'm going to tell you the victor of this battle, this Super Bowl, this Supernatural Bowl right now. is David. Here's what happened. This man, Goliath, this champion, came out into the valley of Elah, nine feet, nine inches tall. His weaponry with him, his iron weaponry with him, and his brass weapons as well. And he issued a challenge. He shouted out to all of the army on the other side of the valley of Elah. Picture this. The Philistines on one side of the valley of Elah, the Israelites on the other side of the valley, and for 40 days, once in the morning and once in the evening, Goliath would rumble out into the valley. And he would shout out, send me a man, send me a man, and we will fight. And whoever wins the battle, if you win, we will be your slaves. But if I win, you will be our slaves. As I said, it was not an unknown custom in ancient days to avoid so much warfare. Might be a good idea today even to avoid so much nuclear war, bombs, pillage, carnage in the world. Anyway, they used this system. And Goliath blasphemed the name of God. He defied the God of Israel. He defied the entire army, and he did it with great results because all the men, including King Saul, who was the tallest of men other than Goliath, maybe he should have been the one out there fighting. He was close to his size, but he didn't, he wouldn't, and none of the other men would fight. And what do you think they were talking about in the camp of David? They're all talking about the challenge, 40 days now, morning and night, and nobody would go forward. In fact, the soldiers were talking. Did you hear the latest offer from King Saul? He says, if any one of us will suit up and go out there on the battlefield, we'll win one of his daughter's hands in marriage, and we won't have to pay any taxes for the rest of our life. But that couldn't entice anybody. They were underwhelmed by that offer. And they decided not to go out on the battlefield until one day David, who was a shepherd, he had brothers. His oldest brother's name was Eliab. And David would go back and forth to see the battle. He even had a tent set up for himself. His dad, Jesse, said, David, take some food for your brothers. In those days, the army didn't feed his army. You had to provide your own food. So David took food to his brothers who were at the scene of the battle. But when he got there, he was shocked. He was amazed. He was angry to hear this big giant defying God. When he defied the army of Israel, he was defying the God of Israel. He was a blasphemer. Blasphemy today is a very common sin upon, among millions of people. Do you know what it is? Very commonplace among unbelievers. 
It's the core sin of all human race people. Blasphemy of this is the sin of thinking, yeah, there probably is a God, or even knowing there is a God, and hearing the evidence of the resurrection of God's Son, and knowing of the mighty power of God's Word, and hearing of the amazing conversions and transformations of millions of people in history and millions of people on the globe right now today and seeing testimonies and hearing testimonies and seeing the evidence of God in the sun and the moon and the stars and science and astrology and psychology and psychiatry and anthropology and yet seeing it all just walking along and mincing along as if there's no God and I don't need to believe and maybe there's not a God after all. Anyway, I'm too busy. And they attribute the powers of life to other things like science or natural beliefs or nature. That's the sin of blasphemy. Giving the credit that belongs to God himself to anybody and everybody else and everything else you can think of under any new name of a new superstition. Instead of worshiping God, we worship all the other things and thereby commit blasphemy. And the Bible calls blasphemy an unforgivable sin unless you repent of it. Guess who in the New Testament describes himself as a blasphemer? The Apostle Paul. But he repented. He was one of the worst blasphemers of all. Yet he was repentant, he was forgiven, he was changed in the name of mighty force for God. So when young David came on the scene and he heard this, his blood began to boil. Something stirred inside him. He wanted to shut up the mouth of Goliath. He wanted to shut him down immediately and that's exactly what he did now what happened well the bible says first of all David went to king saul king saul couldn't get anybody else so he probably said well what can we lose they're going to whip us anyway and david probably came up on the 40th day of the 40-day period the last day and so it ended up that saul tried to put his own armor on david and as i said to you Saul was a very tall man. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders above most men. So you can imagine David walking around using Saul's armor. It was comical. So he flung it off. He said, no, it won't work. It won't work. I've got to fight him on my own terms. And so the Bible says that David went out onto the battlefield. Goliath was already there, and Goliath was squinting. What is that? Who, who is that kid coming out? And when he saw David's staff in his hand, in that slingshot, you know what he said? He said, hey, what do you think I am, a dog or something? You think I'm a dog? You're going to run me off with that staff? You're going to shoot me with that sling? He said, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to leave your carcass out here. And we're going to kill your army. Then David's blood began to boil. The blood that God gave flowed through him and his strength came to him. And David said to him, no, you're not. 
No, you're not. In fact, I want you to know, Goliath, I'm going to kill you. Listen to this. I'm going to kill you, then I'm going to take your head off your shoulders. That's what he said. Now, you talk about bold. Was that bold or not? He's still only 5'6". He still only has a slingshot and a staff. And he's speaking out loud like that in front of this man, nine feet and nine inches tall. And when Goliath heard this, of course, his rage began to rise up in him. But before he could even begin to move, the Bible says that David began to run. And as he ran, he reached down into his shepherd's bag and took out a stone. He was getting ready to go running and gunning. And while he was running, he was loading up that slingshot. He took maybe that slingshot, uh, that uh, tennis ball sized rock. He loaded it in his sling. He had done it many times on the run. And as he was running, like a nuclear helicopter, he slung that rock and God guided it. And it went, who knows how fast it went. And God guided it right into his forehead. Either it didn't have his helmet on, or he was bending down low to look at that little midget. And the rock went right between underneath that helmet and struck him in the head, and he fell down, face down. Now, maybe he was dead, and maybe he wasn't. So David had a cure for that. So he cut his head off. And later he took it and showed it to everybody to give proof that Goliath was dead. When that happened, all the Philistines began to run. And the Israelites began to run after them. And they defeated them, not completely, because they weren't wiped out. They fought later, the Philistines did. But on that day, young David won that battle because the Lord was with him. And there are a few verses that are interesting to look at and to know in David's life. So David said, the battle is the Lord's. When you read this passage, look for that. The battle is the Lord's. He said to Goliath, why do you defy God and his army? Why do you defy and blaspheme the name of God, the nature of God? with all your false idols in your worship. So David won the battle that day, and it was amazing. But I want to ask you a question now to conclude my message. I'm halfway through, a little more than halfway through. Halftime is over. We're coming into the last half of the game. All right? So how in the world did David win this battle? Let me give you a few principles. There are spiritual lessons in this victory that help us in our battles. Question, are we in any battles today? Are there any blasphemers, unbelievers? Do we need the power and the blessing of God to sweep our land? Do we need a revival of our spirit, a resurgence of spiritual strength in America, in our homes, in our minds, in our hearts, in our neighborhoods? Yes, we do. And we can learn some great victory lessons from David. First of all, David answered God's call. He answered God's call. Even as a young man, he worshiped God. God spoke to him and taught him in the 
teachings they had of the Old Testament times, and he learned them, and he answered God's call. He wanted to be a believer. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you answered God's call in your life? Have you answered the call of the contemporary Christ? Christ calls people to be saved, to be changed, to be converted, to be born again, and he expects an answer. You can't be neutral. There's no such thing as neutrality. You're either with him or against him. That's what Christ said. So he called David, and David answered, and you and I must answer the call too. Have you? Have you answered the call of Christ to receive him and believe him? But after the call came something else, and that was an assignment, an assignment. Every Christian has an assignment. Paul spoke about this a lot, that God, after he changed him, gave him an assignment. God's given you an assignment, too. He gave David an assignment. Your assignment is in your world, your little piece of the earth, your little part of the globe, your little part of the neighborhood, your little space at work, wherever you travel, wherever you go, to whomever you speak, to whomever you relate to, your friends, even your enemies, your business people, whatever you do, this is your assignment to be an, an ambassador for Christ. It was in those developing years that David developed his identity. That's what counted on that day. When David stood before Goliath, he knew who he was. He knew his identity. He was a child of God. He was a believer of God. Now, I don't know about you when you were a teenager. Were you secure in your identity? I had a few problems in my teen years finding out who I was, and the main reason was that, like a lot of teenagers, I listened to music and watched movies. And the young men of the day who were most famous were people like Elvis, you know, shaking Elvis. And then there was James Dean, sulking James Dean. And then there was Pat Boone, singing and smiling Pat Boone. And then there was Jerry Lee Lewis, shaking it a two. So we would look at those people and we'd try to find out who we were. But reading Pat Boone's testimony, by the way, he is a strong Christian, reminded me of the identity crisis I went through as a young man. Until at 22 years of age, my identity was settled in Christ when I answered the call to be saved, to be changed, to receive Christ. And then I received my assignment. And my assignment was based on my heart. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 17, or 16, verse 7, that God doesn't look on the appearance of a man or a woman, but he looks on the heart. That's why Samuel said, look, don't worry about David's height. He's got the heart to be a man of God. And he did. Do you have the heart? Will you give your heart to Christ? And, and this man, young man, David, had an identity, and his identity brought him an assignment, and he fulfilled that assignment. How about you? You fulfilling your assignment? You know what the Bible says in Acts chapter 13 about David? Let me quote it. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. That's a word for death. He died. He was buried with his fathers. There's more than one generation in this room. Every age, from youngest to oldest, lives in a particular generation. 
you and I are to serve God in our generation. And when our time comes to sleep or to die, it's real death. It's just a euphemism that God uses to help us get past the fear of death. It's like sleeping in Christ. We're dead, we die. But God says we're going to wake up. There's going to be a resurrection. That's our peace and our hope. Number two, lesson to be learned from David. He understood the dangerous times he lived in. He understood what the stakes were. He knew what was going on in his world. And he knew it was time to try to turn the tide in his life and in the people's lives and in his own nation to come back to God. I wonder how much you and I understand the times we're living in right now. We're at a turning point, a tipping point in America. We're going to go away from God or we're going to turn and come back to God. Do you understand the times and the stakes that we're in right now in our American nation? David went out there and fought for his God. He fought for his family and he fought for his nation. And that's what we're fighting for in our world today. We're not going to go out and cut anybody's head off. I want to make that clear. I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about the spiritual weapons of faith, hope, power, strength, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, a man and a woman under God's control, a spirit-controlled temperament to live for God, to battle for God. Every Christian is a soldier, every one of us. We're all soldiers in God's army, but we have different weapons to fight with than swords and tanks and nuclear bombs. So he wanted God's will to be done because he knew God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. If the blinders could be taken off so many people's eyes and they could see the truth, they would be shocked to see how they had traded in God's good, pleasing, beautiful, and perfect will from some second-rate basement-bought idea of fun or life or pleasure or purpose. They'd be shocked. And every born-again Christian usually is shocked when they look back on their life and say, what was I thinking? What was I looking at? Why couldn't I understand? Well, there's a battle going on, and David understood the battle. And today, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear, is there not? And when we take the Spirit of God and the power of God in our life, by faith, God begins to quell or quench our fears and our anxiety in the times we live in. I will ask you to turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. It addresses the anxiety in the times that we live in right now. A well-known passage. You'll recognize it when we read it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, 16 and 17 gives us a word to understand the times we live in, and how to overcome. Verse 15, Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. The word there is time. Every opportunity that time brings you. Because, why? The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is what God is asking of us. 
Don't turn to some stimulant to give you peace and power. I imagine, though I don't have a statistic for you, I imagine that the sale of wine and liquor and alcohol is high or higher than it's ever been before because people are trying to drown their anxiety and their fears that they don't know their anxiety can swim. But God gives you a power that will drown those anxieties out. Be filled with the Spirit by faith. Let God's Spirit work in your life. Now when David faced Goliath, he described him as that uncircumcised one. Circumcision in 1 Samuel 17 is a word that describes the covenant sign between God and his people. It was a sign of faith in every male. It was a sign of the covenant of grace and God's guidance. And David said this uncircumcised giant is defying God. In our day, we look out and see unbelievers who need God's grace. They need the covenant of being saved by grace and God's power to overcome. There's another lesson we can learn from David, and that is to learn to overcome discouragers. Notice I didn't say discouragement. I said discouragers. We live among discouragers who discourage our faith. Unfortunately, there are even leaders and politicians and laws that want to limit our freedom of religion, to fight against the God we love and serve, to reduce our impact on the world. And those discouragers speak out. But you know who was, who was the discourager in David, David's life, the first one? His brother Eliab, his oldest brother. When David came on the scene, Eliab said, I know why you're here, you conceited little brother you. That's what he called him, conceited. Then he said, I bet you left the sheep unguarded. He had not. He had found a substitute sheep to take, uh, um, shepherd to take care of the sheep. But he was angry at him because he had heard him saying that he was going to take the life of Goliath. What was motivating him? Guilt. Because he himself didn't have the faith or the courage to step out. But his little brother did. By the way, that's a motivation for many people who put down Christianity. They're not up on it because they're down on it. They're down on it because they're not up on it. And they're not up on it because they don't look up to God to get what comes down from God in their life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And once a person has that Spirit of God in them, they will see this encouragement. And why was David courageous? His courageous attitude and spirit was not man-made. He didn't just psych it up. His courage came from God. He said, the battle is the Lord's. 